Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. The money that you put into these investments is it's typically a long-term play. Once you're in it, it's not very liquid. It's an illiquid investment. So it's hard to get it out. So in case you're relying on this money for a short-term thing, this is not the avenue you want to go into. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% For every ticket that you're responsible for selling, should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com. And in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the best ever conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. And we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Best of our listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I am your host today, Theo Hicks. And today we are speaking with X-Ray. X-Ray, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Theo. And thank you for having me on. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Best of listeners, it's Sunday. So you know what time it is. It is Skill Set Sunday, where we talk about a specific skill set that our guest has acquired that hopefully you can use to expand and grow your real estate investing business. The skill we're going to talk about today is passive investing and how you can use that to become financially independent. Before we get into that skill, a little bit more about X-Ray's background. He is a radiologist, hence the X-Ray moniker, passive real estate investor and anonymous real estate blogger. He lost seven figures in a divorce and was able to use passive real estate investing to get to financial independence in his 40s. So he's a great source of information on how to actually use passive income to not only become financial independent, but to pull yourself out of any financial hole you've gotten yourself in. He's based in the Southeast, and you can say hi to him at his blog, which is xraybsn.com. 
So, X-Ray, before we get into the skill, do you mind providing us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. As you mentioned, I am a radiologist, so I've been a physician for about 15 years now. I've been practicing in the Southeast U.S. And as you also mentioned, I sort of had a financial low in my life. I went through probably one of the worst divorce stories that most people have heard of when I tell it to it. It was very contentious. It was just not a fun time in my life. That was starting in 2010 and it lasted for 13 months. And during that time, I just saw money draining out of my account. It was like I was hemorrhaging money. The only people that benefited from it apparently were the lawyers. And just to give you an idea, just my legal counsel fee during this time was about 300000 I sort of tallied it up and it was just a shocking amount of drain going through my life. I really hit financial rock bottom and emotional rock bottom right around the time that the divorce was finally finalized. I was looking at a negative net worth, probably close to 800000 negative, And I was just about to turn 40. And I really was reeling. Like I said, financially and emotionally, I was devastated. It was a grueling time. There was just a lot of times I just wanted to throw it all in and give it all up. And it was at this lowest point that I started saying, I could still build myself up. I am a physician, which fortunately does carry with it a high income. I didn't really know how to deploy that money in the past. Basically, money coming in, I would spend it and never really built any financial traction in my life. But when I was starting at rock bottom, I said to myself, I need to do something. Otherwise, I'll never be able to retire. I just got my legs cut out from under me at age 40. And if I ever wanted to retire early, much less retire at all, I better get my financial ducks in a row. So I started doing research online. And one of the biggest topics that really struck a chord with me was passive income generation. Basically, I thought that this would be an ideal way that I could actually turbocharge my net worth, bringing money as a physician while I was creating some side streams that brought additional money into my household. And those two incomes combined could really set me back up to where I needed to be. And that's how I sort of first got into passive income, real estate investing and other passive income sources is just basically, it was a desperate need to find out how can I call myself back from this huge hole that I was in right after a really bad divorce. Thank you for sharing that. So I know you mentioned you did some research online. Do more specifics on how you found passively investing in real estate specifically was just you were reading some blog posts. Did you come across a forum? Did you talk to someone online? How specifically did you find this investment strategy? I was almost going through Google searches at one point just to see how to recover from a divorce was one of the topics I would search. And I started seeing some forums that I took part in. One of the first that was really helpful was the Boggleheads forum. They were basically a group of like-minded individuals that kind of followed this principle of the late uh, Jack Bogle, who founded Vanguard. And for those familiar with index investing, Bogle was the first person to really push that out. But this was a group of individuals that really were helpful. I basically, my first post was help. And I gave my spiel of what happened to me, how essentially I lost pretty much close to a million dollars throughout the whole divorce. And I said, this is my age. This is what I have. Can I be helped? And it was just an outpouring of support there. Had a lot of responses saying it's not the end of the world. Don't give up. And again, they cited that I was a physician 
And they said, you can dig your way out of this. You have a high enough income that you should start looking into these topics that you might not have been aware of. And through that, I started looking at other blogs. One of the biggest blogs that inspired me was in the physician finance realm was from White Coat Investor. He had been giving advice to physicians. First of all, physicians are very well known for not being very financially savvy. We are usually easy (laughs) prey for a lot of financial advisors. And mainly, we go through all these years of education. I think I've been through the educational system for 25 years. Mm -hmm. Not one single hour was dedicated to finance. So you're basically a perfect sheep for all these wolves of Wall Street. You basically come out of med school with no financial knowledge. You go through residency, no financial knowledge. And now you're pulling in these good-sized checks And these financial advisors know, wow, this is easy to pray for us. So Dr. Dolly, who runs the White Coat Investor, he basically got taken advantage of by a financial advisor, and it basically inspired him to start a blog. Tons of posts on that side. And then from that on, it it sort of blossomed into looking at other blogs. And one of the ones that really got me into passive income investing was another physician, an anesthesiologist who blogs at passive income MD, he was solely writing on that topic. And that really spoke to me. And once I got into that, it just took off from there. That's amazing that you can go from Googling how to recover to a divorce to finding that passive MD website that allows you to obviously reach financial independence within a year. So let's actually talk about the strategy. So before we go into specifics, can you just explain kind of the, the overall strategy that you would recommend to someone who may be in a similar situation and wants to achieve financial independence strictly through passively investing in real estate? Sure. I guess first define what I think is financial independence. It's basically at a point where you could stop working, not receive another W-2 dollar for the rest of your life, and you would still be able to take care of your basic needs. So there's certain levels of financial independence. The community I'm part of, it's called the FIRE community. It's financial independence, retire early. You don't necessarily have to retire early when you receive financial independence or when you get to it. But some people like to say they are fired, which means that they've reached financial independence and then they can retire early or they could just basically design a work life that they want. But there's also different levels of financial independence. There's the basic needs where you can't do anything luxurious. They call that lean fire, where you're just basically covering your expenses for having a roof over your head, utilities and food. And then you can go all the way up to fat fire, which means that you're so beyond financial independence, you could splurge on anything off the menu, take luxurious trips and stuff like that. So where I'm at right now is probably in between the two in terms of my financial independence. I could certainly stop working and support myself with the life I have now and take a nice vacation every now and then. But I am still continuing to work because I do want to kind of pad my net worth a little bit before I pull the plug. When I wanted to get into these income streams, I had to decide whether I wanted to be an active participant or a passive one. And being a physician, that really took a lot of my time. I didn't want to have a second job. And that's why real estate passively was ideally suited for me. I've owned a couple of condos, which I actually lost during the divorce. And I was not unhappy about that because they were paying to, to manage and the money received from that was not really worth my time. So I didn't want to be a landlord. So I I kind of wanted to have something where I could invest in real estate, take advantage of all the tax benefits. The IRS and the tax law right now favors a lot of people 
who are into real estate, there's so many more benefits than you can get just from normal working. So I really wanted to get into real estate, but I didn't want to be a landlord. So I started looking into passive things. One of the easiest ones to do is actually what's called a REIT, R-E-I-T, and that's a real estate investment trust. It's almost like a stock. You basically can buy it off the market. There's indexes for it as well. And you could be part of this real estate investment plan with them. And every quarter they send you distributions. So it's almost like you own the real estate, but it's treated like a stock. That's probably the easiest way to get into it. Unfortunately, REITs can behave like stocks. So if the market crashes, you can certainly lose a lot of value in your REIT shares. But if you're not going to sell it, like I don't plan on selling my shares, the volatility doesn't bother me as much. The next level when I got to it was the crowdfunding platforms. And the, the Jobs Act basically allowed normal individuals to start investing in these real estate properties that were at one point only available to the ultra wealthy. And there were platforms that came up like Realty Shares and a whole bunch of others. I actually went into Realty Shares and did three deals with them, had no problems. And later on, Realty Shares actually closed its doors, but others have taken its place. But that was a easier step for me to go into real estate was through these crowdfunding platforms. The minimums were a lot lower than what I'm currently in. They usually could be anywhere from three to $5,000 to $10,000 to invest in. And you basically pool your sources with other investors and you could buy these commercial properties like apartments. And then if you're fortunate enough, which I achieved fairly quickly in my early stages of this project, if you're fortunate, you become an accredited investor if you have a net worth of over a million dollars, not including your primary home, or if your salary is, if you're single, I believe it's $250,000 a year, or actually I think it's $200,000 a year if you're single and $300,000 if you're a couple a year. So if you could achieve that and you become an accredited investor, that opens up a whole bunch of more opportunities for you to invest in. And that's where I was at fairly soon. And that's where I concentrated my efforts on. Can you walk us through an example deal that you do right now? Let's talk about at the, at the highest level. So not the REIT, not the crowdfunding sure. platform, but what you're doing now as an accredited investor. Yeah. As an accredited investor, there basically gives you opportunities to invest in these private syndicators. And these private syndicators, there's a lot of them. And that's probably the most daunting thing out of all of this is there's so many choices. You have no idea where you want to go to. So you actually have to do a lot of research. But when you become an accredited investor, basically these private syndicators will offer you opportunities. Basically, will contact them through their website, or if you have an email contact, and then do an interview, make sure that you're a good fit with them. They'll check your financials. You have to basically fill out some forms that basically agrees that you are indeed an accredited investor. And what happens when you join these companies is whenever they have a potential offering about a month or two before they close on a property. So say they have a $20 million apartment complex that they want to purchase. They've done their due diligence. They think this is in a good area. There's a good projection for growth, they will send out a mass email or someone will do a demonstration like a webinar over the internet and they will present it to their group of investors. So I usually get a phone call because I'm pretty active in, in a few of them and I'll get a heads up by one of the investor relations people. They say, hey, you have an interesting opportunity coming up. I just want to give you a heads up. So if you need some funds to start mobilizing, we want you to be ready for this. 
And these private syndications are a little bit more of a, a bigger step to get into. Like I said, crowdfunding, you get in as low as $1,000. Typically, the, uh, these private syndicators that I've been dealing with, the minimums are usually around 50000 And I've seen some that the minimum investments in the quarter of a million plus range. So it does take a little bit more dry powder to get into it. And obviously, you have to have other assets that allow you to put your money in here. And the money that you put into these investments is it's typically a long-term play. Once you're in it, it's not very liquid. It's an illiquid investment. So it's hard to get it out. So in case you're relying on this money for a short-term thing, this is not the avenue you want to go into. But they'll basically give you a notice after you see the webinar or the emails that they send you and you feel like you're comfortable with it. You make a pledge and you fill out a form and then you put your investment amount in. And typically, they'll withdraw your funds from your bank, and then you're automatically invested in it. The ones that I am part of, they usually have each property in an LLC. So all the other investors are all in this one LLC. And then whatever the positive cash flow that that one property does, they do quarterly distributions. Okay, yeah, perfect. So for all of the listening, if you want more details because I got a million questions for extra. We put more details on the syndication process. Make sure you check out syndication school where we do an hour a week of just strictly talking about how these syndications work. So you mentioned that with these private syndicators, there's a lot of them. And I get this question all the time, which is how do you know who to invest with? How do you <laughs> how do you pick? There's literally hundreds, probably thousands of private syndicators out there. So I know you've probably got your go-to syndicators, but for someone, again, who's wanting to enter this field, they're an accredited investor and they want to know how to get started. What would you tell them are some important characteristics of a sure. indicator, but also let's talk about some red flags as well. Sure. That really is the biggest question. It is one of the hardest ones to answer fully because you basically want to do your own due diligence and feel comfortable with it because you are writing a substantial amount of money, a check to some people that you might not have ever even met in person. And it feels like a leap of faith. The first time I did it, it was just like, what am I doing? Am I ever going to see this money again? And it felt like I'm just handing this stranger $50,000, $100,000 of my hard-earned money. What am I thinking? And you definitely get a comfort level with it. I, I guarantee you the first syndication that you become involved with, you're going to have a little bit of self-doubt. The things that made me feel a lot more comfortable were to actually do research on that particular company. As I said, I did a lot of research on other blogs. And if I saw another blogger who I trusted mention, hey, I am an investor of this particular company. This is my experience with them. This is great. And they recommended it. That obviously raised the bar for me in terms of, yeah, this is a good quality company that I should trust. Some of the other things is, most of these companies will require a phone interview. They're interviewing you, but it's the same time you need to be interviewing them. You need to have the same philosophy. Some companies specialize in a certain sector of real estate. Some do like self-storage and concentrate on that. Some people do apartments. Some people just do retail. Some do all of them. So if you feel like you're comfortable with a certain sector of real estate, obviously the best match for you would be a sponsor that is in that particular field. For me, I thought that my comfort zone was multifamily commercial apartments. And I wanted to go into that sector primarily just because of my own personal beliefs. I wasn't as high on retail as some people might be. 
So I found companies that were concentrated solely on apartments. And then after that, I did more research on the particular company itself. Again, reading about it on blogs, doing online searches. They also should provide you, and you should ask for it if they don't, a list of other investors that are currently in their base that you could call and talk freely with them. And that's another great source of information. Talk to another individual who's already been through a few cycles with them. Ask them, are the returns on par with what they projected? And even if they're not exactly on there, these are all projections. Some people get all spun up. Oh, it came in like 0.1% less than they said they would. That's rational to have a little bit of wiggle room. They're not going to be exactly spot on in these projections. So when you're reading the paperwork, you don't get hooked up so much on the details, but you just want to make sure that they're not being overly optimistic. They're not telling you this is going to be a home run. And anytime you see one property that has expected returns that are way, way beyond what normally would be for that property, that's a red flag for me. As somebody who is a syndicator and wants to get investors, they sometimes can inflate the numbers and they try to make it look enticing. So you have to be cautious as well. I've seen five properties that have a return of this. Property number six is double that. Why is that? And they better have a good reason why. Otherwise, you might not want to put your hard-earned money into something that's more speculative. You mentioned the fire, lean fire, fat fire. How do someone who wants to achieve financial independence through passive investing, how do they go about setting their goals? Are they saying that I need to invest this amount of money or I need to invest in this many deals? If I want to become financially free, what's the process I should go to determine exactly what I need to do? The best thing to do is to kind of figure out what your current, what I call burn rate is. If you could find out what your basic living expenses are, if you have a mortgage, and it also depends on if you want to retire early or retire a a certain age, if you plan on having that mortgage at that time or will it be paid on. But for me, what I did was I figured out every year, this is sort of where I was trending in terms of expenses. And you want to make it where there's a basic level where this is the absolute minimum I need to make sure I don't have to sell my house or get kicked out or get foreclosed on, that I can actually eat the way I want to eat, that I have utilities the way I want it. That should be your basic line. And once you figure out that that's your annual burn rate or your spend rate, you could sort of work your way backwards and try to get a passive income stream to at least match that. And obviously, it's a long-term play. Don't be discouraged that, man, I'm not going to be able to do that year one. This is not something that you can do in one year. It takes several years. And obviously, the higher the income you have, the quicker that path could be. But the first goal is to get to that, yeah, I am financially independent, where I don't need to rely on any working dollar to come in to maintain what I currently have, the way I want to live my life. Once I did that, and once I achieved that, then I started envisioning what I wanted to do when I am retired. Do I want to travel the world? Well, that's going to add a lot more expenses. So I need to plan accordingly. And how much do I want to spend? All this is obviously guesstimates. You're not going to be completely accurate there, but you could give yourself a little bit of wiggle room and say, yeah, I'd like to spend $10,000 a year on vacations or 20 or, or whatever, and then add that into your budget. One of the studies that a lot of these fire blogs use is the Trinity study. And basically it tells you that whatever your goal spending is, per year in retirement, you divide it by 25. 
And that's what you need to have each year to draw off of. So say you have a million dollars in your nest egg, basically 4% of that is $40,000 a year. So that $1 million, and don't include your primary home in this, in this number, because unless you're planning on selling it and using it as money that would work for you, but whatever your money that's actually going out there and acting as capital and bringing in passive income, whatever that amount is divided by 25, and that is a relatively comfortable estimate of how much you could take each year. So if you have $100,000 a year lifestyle, multiply it by 25. So you need to have a $2.5 million nest egg to support that life. So that's sort of how you want to do it. You got to figure out where you want to be and then how much do you think that costs a year to support that multiply by 25 and that's your nest egg gold. Is that factor saying that you're going to make a 4% return on that money? Or that's saying that you're going to be yeah, after uh, retirement, you're going to be alive for 25 more years. <laughs> <laughs> the Trinity study took it out for 30 years. So there's a little bit of caveat to there. And, and then there's some people now that are a little bit more conservative. They think that 4% is a little bit too high given where they think the market's going. But the Trinity study was done, I believe in 10 to 15 years ago. And they basically did it on a mix of bond and stocks. Oh, I, see. Um, okay. I believe it was like a 60 and a 40. So that's how the 25 rule came was off this Trinity study. I personally am really conservative. For me, when I leave medicine, it's going to be hard for me to ever go back into it. So I want to make damn sure that when I leave it, I don't have to ever go back. So I am ultra, ultra conservative compared to that. My goal is actually to be 3% to 3.5% instead of the 4%. So the smaller the number is, the more of a buffer you have. So a lot of people are saying that the Trinity study is an okay guideline. And depending on how conservative you are, you could kind of vary that number. But most of the time, if you did follow that Trinity study when it first came out, at the end of 30 years, when they worked it out, most people actually had more in their portfolio than they started out with. So it's sort of like a doomsday scenario that it kind of survived so many drops and all that. And that's why they came up with 4% is probably a 90, 95% chance that you'll survive okay. But if you don't want to have that 5 to 10% chance that you don't want to have a bad retirement... You can be more conservative with that number, but at least that's a good starting point for me. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about as it relates to achieving financial independence through passive investing that we haven't talked about that you want to talk about before we wrap it up? Yeah, sure. I actually wrote a post about this. This is my favorite type of money. I think passive income is by far my favorite type of income. Even though I make a lot more money through my active work, I get much bigger smiles when I see what I'm getting through my passive income, even though it's like a fraction of my physician job. So with my passive income dollars, they get taxed a lot differently than my active dollars. As a physician, I'm in the highest tax margin. So essentially every dollar I make, the government automatically takes 37% off of that. So I lose 37 cents for every dollar I make for my last dollar. That's at my marginal rate. Whereas with passive income, the top tax rate comes in at 20%. And then you add in the 3.8% Affordable Care Act on top of that for some higher individuals, the most you'll be paying on passive income tax is 23.8%. So there is a big tax arbitrage between those two. My passive dollar that comes in gets taxed far better than my active dollar that comes in. And that's one of the reasons why passive income is such a beautiful concept. First of all, your money is working for you. It works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 
And it basically, your capital is bringing you more money that you could put back into the pot and it just compounds itself that way. And it's just a beautiful concept. I've written about this one relationship that I think is always important to let people know. There's a financial relationship. There's a borrower and a lender in every financial equation. You want to be on the lender side because that's where the money is made. If you're on the borrower side of debt, you're basically paying somebody else interest. You're making money for them. Once you become a capitalist, once you have money working for you, you actually flip the script and you become the lender. And in our society, it pays to be the lender. Yeah, it pays to be the lender. It's a good statement to end on. So actually, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Just to summarize, lots of amazing advice. I'm looking forward to re-listening to this episode. Um, we started off by walking us through kind of how you got to the point where you needed to you needed help. That was your forum post was, was help me increase my net worth. You talked about how you kind of just essentially through online research came across passive investing in real estate. We talked about financial independence. We kind of talked about the different tiers. So your basic lean fire needs are all the way up to the, the fat fire, which is explored on whatever you want. We talked about the different levels of passive investing. So you can start the easiest are those REITs. The next level would be crowdfunding, and then the top level would be you being an accredited investor and investing with private syndicators. You kind of walked us through how that process works from the passive investor's perspective. And then we talked about how you actually qualify a syndicator because there's a lot of them out there, and it really comes down to being comfortable with them, their business plan, the types of properties they're buying, making sure they don't have unrealistically high or inflated returns, make sure you're able to actually talk to some of their investors to make sure that they are doing what they say they're doing as well as doing some online research and trying to find some people you respect and see who they are actually recommending. But at the end of the day, it's going to feel a little weird at first because it is a leap of faith. And you mentioned how we all have doubts in your first deal, but once you've had success, that will at least be reduced. We talked about how to go about determining what you need to do to become financially free. So it starts off at that burn rate and determining how much money you need to bring in in order to cover your basic needs and then either setting that as your passive income goal or envisioning what you want to do when you retire and then adding that to your burn rate. And then we also talked about that Trinity study, which is whatever your nest egg is, divide that by 25 and assume that's how much money you'll be able to spend per year. Or if you say, I want to make X amount of dollars per year, then multiply that by 25 and that's how big your nest egg has to be. So you're after talking about the differences between taxes on a W-2 income and passive income. Then you talked about how people should focus on figuring out how to become the lender rather than the, the borrower. So yeah, as I mentioned, lots of, of powerful information in this episode. I'm glad I got to interview today, X-Ray. Uh, best of listeners, thanks for stopping by and we will talk to you tomorrow. Best of listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at the REI Foundation.libson.com.